0: Here you go. Yeah.
1: Fifty-five. Nothing personal word of the day. It is the first of March 2023, and our word is fifty-five. Danny Boy is at it again. The owner of the Washington Commanders is being implicated. I don't want to say implicated let me start that again here we go 4869 55 we've got a story for you ESPN through a writer named Don Van Natta introduced a story yesterday about Daniel Snyder and his partners and some of the issues he's having with his current partners his ex partners and the NFL all of which are going to lead to the end of Daniel Snyder owning the commanders not because they're for sale, not because he does or does not want to sell to Jeff Bezos, not because he has sealed bids around 6300000000 billion. Let's talk about what is being alleged and what it means. When you buy a team, it is very rare that one person buys 100% of the team. In Steve Ballmer's case, when he bought the Clippers from from Donald Sterling, he bought 100% of the Clippers, wrote a check for 2.4, 2200000000 billion, and that was the end. But the majority of times that someone goes in and buys a team, you are buying shares of that team. A team is made up of limited partners, and those limited partners choose a general partner or a controlling owner. So let's say you have a group of 10 people. And they get together and they're gonna buy a team for a billion dollars. They don't all put in a hundred million dollars, therefore owning 10% of the team. Different people put in different amounts of money and own different percentages of the team. Leagues have rules about the amount of money and the amount of shares that the controlling owner has to own. So in the NBA, for example, the person who is in charge, like the controlling owner, the general partner, has to own 15% in major league baseball. The person who puts in the most money is the person who is the control person. That's the one who gets to go to owner's meetings and vote on league issues on behalf of the team and the other partners, a general partner is responsible to do the business of the partnership on behalf of the limited partners. The general partner gets paid by the partnership to conduct this business. The general partner enters into an agreement with limited partners to engage in this business. And in this agreement, it's like the rules. Here's what the general partner's allowed to do. Here's what he's not allowed to do or she or they. And here's the circumstances under which we don't know whether he's allowed to do it, but you have to talk to us and we'll vote on it. And then we'll decide whether or not through that vote, you're allowed to do it. When Daniel Snyder bought the Washington Commanders, he didn't own 100%. He had partners. He was the general partner of a partnership. That partnership was in the business of running a football franchise. What is being alleged is that Daniel Snyder, in order to keep up appearances that all was well and the business was going great, money was being made, hip, hip, hooray, I'm a great general partner, he needed some extra money and he was doing some things called related party transactions. A related party transaction is when the general partner, on behalf of the partnership, calls his cousin, or his brother, or his son, or his wife, and says, you're in the business of supplying paper, and we need to buy paper as an organization. We're gonna buy from you. Even though your price is much higher than someone else, we're still gonna do business with you because that's an advantage to the family of the general partner, but that's a violation. That's a breach of your fiduciary duty and that's a violation of a related party transaction. That provision says that you have to do what's right for the business. You can't just do business with family members because you wanna do business with family members, literally related party transactions. Another related, party transaction is when Daniel Snyder says, I've got a private plane and I'm going to have the Washington Commanders put their logo on my private plane and pay me $4.5 million for flying around with the logo of of the Commanders, I almost said Nationals, because that's good PR and good marketing for the Commanders, and I'm the general partner of the Commanders, and I've made the decision that that is a good use of $4.5 million. Now, of course, that is a related party transaction because guess who the commanders paid the $4.5 million to? The owner of the plane to put the logo on the plane. That was Daniel Snyder. Other related party transactions. If Daniel Snyder is taking money from the company of the commanders and using it to spend on things that are not related to the company but things that are related to his lifestyle staff on a yacht private chefs different amounts of travel when you're not traveling for the business of the company when daniel snyder is on his yacht being subpoenaed by the federal government and by congress he can charge the expense of the yacht back to the commanders who then repay him for the price of operating the yacht? Does he need to have 60 employees? Does he need to have dinners with caviar and champagne and Robin Leach on board? Query, is that a violation of his fiduciary duty to spend money wisely? So a couple of years ago, his partners got really upset with Daniel Snyder because Daniel Snyder was ignoring his partners which you're not allowed to do under the partnership agreement that is signed when you buy the franchise. That partnership agreement states that you will pay attention to us. You will have board meetings with us. You will send us financial statements. You will send us what is happening with our budget. We wanna know what's happening with the team that we collectively own. Well, as Daniel Snyder's ego grew and grew and the commander's financial performance got worse and worse, Daniel Snyder needed to do certain things that he did not tell his partners about, like borrow $55 million. The partnership agreement was clear. If Daniel Snyder and the commanders are borrowing money, taking on debt, think about it. If you owe somebody money, if your company borrows a million dollars and you own 50% of the company, that means you're responsible for half a million dollars. And if you don't know that your partner is taking that debt and you go to sell the team and all of a sudden, or sell the asset or sell the business. And then someone tells you, by the way, you just got a million dollars for your business, congratulations. You're going to get a half a million dollar check. And you say, great, I need the half a million. And then they say, just kidding. You owe a half a million in debt. You got to pay that back. And then you say, what are you talking about? I didn't borrow that money. It was my partner. I had no idea. That's a violation of our partnership agreement. That's what Daniel Snyder did in this case. He borrowed the $55 million and he did not tell his partners about it. And on top of that, he lied to Bank of America. You borrow money from a bank. Bank of America knew that the board of directors had to approve the loan. And Daniel Snyder's people said, no problem, we got it, it's all good. I've worked with Bank of America. I've worked with all the big banks during my time. And when the banks need documents, they're called closing documents. There's a closing checklist before you get money that you borrow. You have to fulfill the items of the checklist. Bank of America still gave the money to Dan Snyder without the closing checklist being complete. That's Bank of America's fault. That's their mistake, but it doesn't change the fact that Daniel Snyder got the 55 million and the partners didn't know. So the partners said, I don't know what to do with you anymore. So they sent a letter to Roger Goodell and they said, we want to go to arbitration. Why would they go to arbitration and not into a court of law? Because within the partnership agreement that you sign with your partners, when you're running a team, there's a provision called an arbitration clause. That clause means if we ever get in a fight, we're going to arbitration. We're not going into the courts. We will go to arbitration that is both cheaper, faster, and mostly to the benefit of the person in charge. But that said, that is a clause that exists in contracts. Take a look at contracts you signed. Believe it or not, you may find an arbitration clause. So Roger Goodell is the arbiter in the circle of NFL contracts and partnership agreements. So Roger Goodell starts to arbitrate He assigns an arbitrator, but you know, like him assigning someone to do an investigation, it's all Roger Goodell. It's all the NFL controlling it without a doubt. Roger Goodell says, I've got an idea. Why don't we do a mediation here? Because at the end of the day, you guys don't wanna be owners of the commanders and Daniel Snyder wants to buy you guys out. Come into my office, let's mediate and let's get you guys bought out. So two days of mediation happen and those partners agree to be bought out. Let's just say that they were bought out at a valuation of $3 billion. Let's say they own 50% of the team, 50% of the partnership. They got a check for $1.5 billion. These numbers aren't accurate. I'm doing it for easy math. They're gone. They're out of the picture. No lawsuits, no arbitrations, no nothing. They are gone. Daniel Snyder turns around in under two years and is forced to sell, which is what I think is going on, or he decides he's going to sell, and let's just say that Bezos gives him $7 billion, all of a sudden those old partners who sold at a valuation of $3 billion and got $1.5 for owning 50%, if the team sells for $7 billion, they would have gotten $3.5 billion instead of $1.5. So Daniel Snyder has made a fortune by buying out his partners at a lower valuation. These partners are not very happy at all. And the question is, what would be their recourse? Now, all of this leads to Daniel Snyder going public or it being leaked in the last few days, that he asked the NFL for the NFL to indemnify him in case of any future litigation. What that means in simple terms is that when you sell something, it's like when you sell a car to someone and you say, caveat emptor, you're taking it as is. I am not responsible. If you pull out of the parking lot and it stops, and the wheels fall off and the brakes don't work, good luck. I am selling you this car as it is and there's nothing you can do. An indemnification means that I am going to sell the club And I don't wanna hear another word. No one's allowed to sue me. No one's allowed to try to claw back any money from me. And if anyone tries, you the NFL is responsible to defend the lawsuit and pay any damages that happen to be won in a lawsuit. Does that sound fair to you? If you're the other 31 owners in the NFL, do you think for one minute that they're gonna provide Daniel Snyder with indemnification? It's the other way, Danny boy. You actually indemnify the NFL for any sort of litigation or problems that could come the NFL's way because these old partners are no schleppers like the former head of FedEx or the current head of FedEx, the current father of the new coach, Mikey. By the way, Coke is not here today. I forgot to introduce Mikey, who's producing the show. Isn't uh, the coach of the Falcons a guy named uh, Green Smith or Norman Smith or... Johnny Smith, whose father is Fred Smith from FedEx. I can't remember his name. Oh, it is? Thank you, Mikey. It's Arthur Smith. You say Arthur Smith. I think Arthur blank. But Arthur Smith is the head coach. He happens to be the son of one of the partners I've been talking about this entire time. And no, I don't view that as nepotism. You think that Atlanta hired the son of one of the limited partners of the commanders, because he's the son of one of the limited partners of the commanders or the son of FedEx? Like, do you think that Arthur Blank wanted good at FedEx rates and that's why he did it? Hey, I'm going to hire your son. Can I send a package overnight for like 99 cents? That'd be cool. Give me a break. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, so you end up indemnifying the NFL. When we did our transactions in Major League Baseball, you negotiate these indemnifications both with Major League Baseball and with the buyer of the team because the buyer wants to be indemnified against certain things. So for example, when you buy a team and all of a sudden someone sues the team because they got hit by a foul ball from 40 years ago, why is it that the new owner should have to pay any settlement? Well, the answer is you negotiate that in what's called a purchase agreement. A purchase agreement is between someone who owns a team and someone who's buying a team. And that's why they're this thick, because you are negotiating all these different indemnifications and representations and warranties, all the things like, hey, I promise you the books that you saw are the real books. I wonder how the Padres would do that. I guess that's why they'd have a hard time selling. They'd have to represent, yeah, the players are as healthy as we say they are and the contracts that we signed are really good, I promise. Here they are. Can you imagine if you bought a team and you thought you were paying Machado only 30 million a year, and then you realized, wow, they didn't publicly announce it, but there's a side deal to pay Machado an extra 10 on top of that. Now that doesn't exist, I'm making that up, but that's an example where a buyer would have a cause of action against the seller because you didn't tell us the truth about something. So these back and forth negotiations go on all the time. When you own an asset that someone really wants, you control the document, the purchase agreement, and you put everything in there. You make everything the responsibility of the buyer. You make no representations and warranties about the truthfulness of anything. You get indemnified for everything you may have done, could do, should do, won't do, may do in the future. And the buyers hold their nose and they sign it because they're so busy trying to be the owner of a major league team or an NFL team that they give in on the provisions that actually matter. It makes me smile. People call me a good negotiator. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm not bad. Well, we'll find out soon enough how good I am in that regard. But at the end of the day, when you control something that someone else really wants, you've got all the leverage. So Danny is gonna try to figure out what he's doing here. And all the news about him not selling to Bezos for $7 billion, let me just tell you give me a break. There is no one more petty than Daniel Snyder. There is no one who has more FU money than Daniel Snyder. If he doesn't want to settle Beto- Bezos, he doesn't have to. The NFL can't make him. Will Roger Goodell be angry if he doesn't sell to the highest bidder? Yeah. Could the owners not approve him selling to anyone but the highest bidder? Yeah. But they're not going to take away their approval because they want Snyder out. So if the commanders sell for under what Bezos would have paid, the NFL just leaks a story that Bezos would have paid more, and that'll help the value of the other assets in football. And it'll be the same thing as Bezos having bought the team for seven. They want Snyder out. Hard stop. Be careful what you wish for when you bring in an owner. You do it because you like the price they're paying. Don't forget when Daniel Snyder bought the Commanders, they were the Redskins at the time, he paid a heavy price at that time. And people were excited. He was this young guy coming in, the new face of the league. Well, Frankenstein created a monster and that monster is about to be put to sleep. Daniel Snyder, 55 million. All that for a yacht, Danny boy? Come on. You know, people do, interesting things when they're desperate or when they feel as though they they know more than someone else. I like that. Jimmy Haslam is a good example. When he signed Deshaun Watson, when he made that trade and then gave him that deal, he really had the feeling that he was doing the best thing where no one else would touch Deshaun Watson at the time, pun not intended. The fact is when you believe that there is an underappreciated asset that means that there's an opportunity for you to take advantage. That's called buying low and selling high. It's a very smart way that smart people get rich. Other people buy high and sell low, they go bankrupt. Jimmy Haslam said no one's taking Deshaun Watson He's one of the best quarterbacks in football. Hell yeah, I'm gonna take him. We'll take him on a reclamation tour. He'll apologize, he'll say he's changing and we're gonna sign him. And then he's gonna be the quarterback that'll get us our first Super Bowl. I'm blanking, Mikey. The Browns have never won a Super Bowl, right? I don't think they have with Kozar or with anybody. I'm trying to even think if they've been in a Super Bowl. So Jimmy Haslam brings him over, signs him to the $230 million guaranteed contract, and wouldn't you know it, number one, he wasn't good. The Browns weren't good. He was mediocre at best. I think seven touchdowns, five interceptions, whatever, like a 75 QB rating. But he's got so much money coming to him that next year, it's a cap hit of like $54 million each year for like four more years. Yesterday, Andrew Berry, the GM of the Cleveland Browns, the same guy who came out and said, hey, we're good here when we signed him. Remember when Jimmy Haslam said, we spoke to my wife, my daughters, we are good. This makes a whole lot of sense. And now he's creating all the problems for all the other owners in football because no one wants to give their quarterback $230 million guaranteed. And I've told you that it served as like a ceiling, like a third rail of quarterback guaranteed money. No one's going to get to $230 million guaranteed. Not even Lamar Jackson, not even Joe Burrow. I'm on record as saying that's not going to happen. Wouldn't you know it? We are one season into this contract. One season. And the Cleveland Browns, are talking about needing it to be restructured. NSS, baby, are you surprised? If you are Andrew Berry, did this just occur to you that it's a $54 million salary cap hit? I'm just curious. Were you so swept up in the excitement of the press conference, winning the off season? We've got a guy, we've got a photo opportunity with a uniform, hip, hip, hooray, we're the greatest, aren't we? Dun, dun, dum. And then reality set in. So how does that conversation go? Hey, Deshaun, quick, quick, quick! Cue for you. Can you can you call me back? Hey, what's up, Andy? How we doing? Hey, I can't hear you very well. I'm on my yacht with Danny. Hello? Talk louder. Hey, Deshaun, we were just wondering. Were you aware that our team stinks? Um, yeah, I was pretty aware of that, and that you're making fifty-five million dollars against the cap next year, right? Yeah, so and well, I was just wondering, would you restructure your deal because then we can put better players around you? Restructure my deal? Wait, let me call my agents. Hold on, no, M, no, not that's not where I kept my agents. Hold on, that's other things. Hold on, N, oh, it's in my book under N, as in never speak to again because I already have a guaranteed $230 million contract that I'm never going to restructure because why would I need to restructure it? Because it's all guaranteed, so I'm not paying any more agents oh oh or no p there we go p u not gonna restructure my contract give me one good reason ah what if we extend it and give you some more guaranteed money well now we're talking i don't understand why players restructure their contracts do they ever restructure them and take less money i've heard you give me examples not you mikey not you coca but audience members listeners will say things to me like yeah we have an example James Harden took less money or other players take less money Tom Brady took less money all the time LeBron James took less money to be part of a big three that won titles okay I take it back there are times when players take less money Deshaun Watson taking less money to restructure a deal no we'll take more money but why do the Cleveland Browns not pay attention to what it is to run a successful franchise? Just explain to me the theory behind it. What is the mentality? Are you listening to the fans? Can't be with Deshaun Watson, but it is that way with other players because the excitement of bringing in a player during the offseason, of winning the offseason. Yes, I'm looking at you, Peter Seiler, and the San Diego Padres. But what if it doesn't add up to what matters, which is winning? And then you realize you don't have the capacity or the money or the ability to actually put a good team around the one player and you can't win with one player. And there's example after example. It blows my mind. In baseball, the commissioner can put a slide up at an owner's meeting which would tell anybody in analytics, anybody with a brain, that paying a player till they're 41 is a losing proposition. The player will not be productive, period, hard stop. And then owners look at it, they yawn, they walk out of the room, they see an agent, and they sign a player till they're 41 years old. Why? Because everyone thinks that they're the exception. Everyone thinks they're the smartest executive, they're the best GM, they're the best owner. Yeah, we've got Deshaun at 55 million in the cap, but we've got it. Jimmy Haslam moves on to other things. He was just in the news yesterday, Jimmy Haslam, the same guy who thought it was right to sign Deshaun Watson, now owns a quarter of the Milwaukee Bucks. I wonder how that would go in Milwaukee. He's trying to expand his sports empire. So he bought the Bucks at a three point. Here's the example, by the way, of valuations. Mark Lazary owned 25% of the Bucks. The bucks are being reported as being sold for three and a half billion dollars under what Phoenix was worth at $4 billion. But Jimmy Haslam did not write a check for three and a half billion dollars. He bought a quarter of the team and he didn't even write a check for a quarter of the $3.5 billion because there's debt on the team. There's purchase price adjustments that are part of that. So you never know the amount of the check that Jimmy Haslam wrote to Mark Lasry. But at the end, Mark Lasry sells his 25% of his shares to Jimmy Haslam. So Jimmy now gets to wear Bucks shorts and Browns tops, gets to get Giannis to sign some things, good seats at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee, maybe invite some Bucks players over to Cleveland, some Browns players over to Milwaukee, see if there's some sort of economies of scale with owning several teams in different markets. I think they own the Columbus crew as well in the MLS. If my memory serves me, he's just building ego properties, trying to distract people from what he's doing in Cleveland. That's the best I can think of. It just doesn't work. The excitement. Remember the excitement when the Rams signed Jared Goff? You know, one of the things about our show, and it is true, this is what I do. I have no prompter, I'm off the top of my head. We have a rundown. Mikey or Coca, or today it's Mikey, are trying to yell in my ear. Say, no, no, it's not that. But I make mistakes, and then I correct them. I got two mistakes to talk about. Number one, I told you yesterday that the Rams won a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. They did not. They made it to a Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl with Matt Stafford, who happened to have been Detroit's quarterback for a long time, and then Stafford switched places with Goff, and then the Rams won the Super Bowl. So I got that wrong. I also did the math wrong on LeBron. We did a segment yesterday on LeBron James and his injury and how he's out indefinitely. That was the word of the day yesterday. I had LeBron playing a maximum of 55 games this year if he played the remaining 18 games, whatever it was. I did 47 plus 18 equals 55. Maybe my math head wasn't working during a show. 47 plus 18 is 65. Thank you for pointing that out. Get on David P. Sampson at Twitter. And if I make a mistake, tell me, I'll live, I'll own it. All right, here we go. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, I have a documentary that you asked me to watch. That was an Oscar nominated documentary from six or seven or eight years ago. And it's fascinating. And then we're gonna talk about something that's going on with Major League Baseball off the field that will blow your mind. So stay tuned, we'll be back.
0: Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome back to
1: Nothing Personal. We just saw a promo for 1923. There's 1883. That Taylor guy, he's got some shows going from Yellowstone, right? I guess that's how it works. When something works, just do more and more of it. Strike while the iron's hot. And if you're listening to this, then thank you for listening. You have no idea what I'm talking about. So welcome back to Nothing Personal. You made it through a gauntlet of commercials yourself. We're live right now, live with Mikey. Coke is away. Let's talk about a movie that you told me to watch. It's a documentary called Virunga. Virunga is a national park in Africa. It is where you find mountain gorillas. This summer, I went gorilla trekking in Uganda in a different park in in the impenetrable forests of Uganda. There are very few mountain gorillas left And the reason why I didn't go to the Rwanda part or the Congo part is that in the Congo, there had been some stories that are true about some genocide and some civil war where millions of people were fleeing and dying. Virunga is the story of, do you remember Hotel Rwanda with Don Cheadle? This movie, Virunga is a documentary about the real life situation going on in Congo. There are so many examples of genocide in Africa that we see on the news and that we disregard and don't think of. There are people who spend their lives trying to protect mountain gorillas and raise mountain gorillas and try to stop them from becoming extinct. And they are in the middle of civil wars. And of course, what these civil wars are about is money. And Blood Diamond is an example. That was another area, but that was about diamonds. In the area where Virunga is, Virunga Park is, there's a thought that there was oil underneath the park where there are wild animals and there are people in charge of keeping the park safe and then there was a multinational corporation who came in and said we want to drill here and they started doing things that were quite nefarious claiming they took no responsibility of course when people were being bribed and people were being killed. This documentary is so important to watch because when you think that I'm being cynical about what companies are doing or when you think that I'm being cynical when I say it's just business, it's nothing personal. That's not the end of the show, Mikey. When you think that it is me not being forthcoming with you, watch a movie like Virunga, it's a documentary, and you will see clearly that at the end of the day for all of these companies, they don't care about rhinos, they don't care about mountain gorillas, they don't care about elephants, they don't care about preserving animals in any way. It's just about the money. And wait till you see what they do to try to be able to drill for oil and wait till you see the danger that people live in and the sacrifices they make in an attempt to save these animals from becoming extinct. It's something. I appreciate whoever gave me that review, uh, the request that I watched for Runga. You can get on my Twitter, David P. Sampson. Give me whatever suggestions you have. I keep a list and I still watch a movie every single day. All right, let's talk about what's going on in baseball. There was an article that came out Evan Drellich of The Athletic wrote about it. Jason Garcia, who has a substack, he covers the influence of businesses on public policy in Florida. He wrote an entire article about this, and I want to make it clear what this is. Do you remember the story of Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball when the commissioner's office allowed the Minor League Baseball players to form a union, and I told you that they were going to rue the day when they formed this union? Do you remember that? Remember the fact when minor league baseball came out and said, our players don't get paid enough, they don't earn minimum wage, they've got to live five people to a house, they eat at McDonald's every day, and I told you that then those players should decide to do something else because the number of minor league players who make it to the major leagues is teeny tiny, and when major league baseball cut 40 teams, made them unaffiliated, and became a whole big stink. I tried to tell you that the reason why there are fewer affiliated teams is because organizations are sick and tired of paying for players who have no chance to be major leaguers as fill-in roster players. Hey, we got to have nine people on a team. We've got two prospects. We got to get seven people from the beer league who they can say they're professional athletes because they're getting paid. But if they don't want to play, I'll get the next guy to come in. No problem. I am here to develop the prospects who I believe are prospects and who will make the big leagues. And it's very few. Very few. And there was all this big cry about minimum wage. Well, what's going on in Florida now is that Major League Baseball has decided that they're going to lobby the Florida legislature, which is about to go into session, because they want Florida to adopt a law that says that Major League Baseball does not have to pay its players the minimum wage who are playing in Florida. It's not a surprise that Major League Baseball is trying to do this in Florida and in Arizona and in Texas. These are places where A, they have a good audience in the legislature and B, you've got all of the teams who do business in Arizona and Florida. They have minor league complexes. They have players who are recovering from injuries. They do summer leagues there. They do winter leagues there. They do spring training there. And they do not wanna pay any bit of minimum wage. But now you're gonna tell me, but David, there was a Save Our, Favorite pa- Save Our National Pastime Act where there's now a federal rule that exempts baseball from paying minimum wages to players. Yes, that's true. Well, if that's the case, then why does MLB need to go to Florida to tell Florida that they don't wanna pay minimum wage to their players? What they're really doing is asking Florida to adopt the exact same federal policy and just put it on the books in Florida so there can be no question about baseball and how they pay people in the state of Florida. It's a bit of belt and suspenders. The way you get something done in the Florida legislature, and I tried for many years to get state financing for a new ballpark in Florida and failed every single time. We had lobbyists, we had Politicians from down south going up to Tallahassee. Those were my dealings with Marco Rubio. Remember Marco Rubio, the guy who thought he could be president? That Marco Rubio? The guy who's completely irrelevant as a senator? That Marco Rubio? That Marco Rubio used to be in the state house. He was the speaker of the house in the state of Florida. And he got to control what bills were heard, like the speaker of the house in the house in Washington, D.C., Congress. God, those were the days. But you go and spend your time. It's a total joke. You sit outside offices. You wait to be granted an audience with these politicians. And then they give you lip service. They want to get autographs of players. They want to get free tickets, which is a violation. And then they don't do what you want them to do because there's other lobbyists who are paying them more to do something else. What lobbyists do, and I'm not MFing lobbyists for the most part. That's like saying that all player agents are bad people. That's not true. Some player agents are really good people. Some lobbyists are really good people. Other lobbyists are there because they're trying to take advantage of a relationship they have. So for example, MLB has a lobbyist and it's no coincidence, right? Who is the chief of was the chief of staff for Ron DeSantis or a huge fundraiser for Ron DeSantis. That's not a coincidence. You hire lobbyists who have the ear of the politician because you think it's the best way to get done what you want done, even if it's to the detriment of other constituents of that politician. And politicians make decisions based on what lobbyists are telling them to do based on the people who are financing their presidential campaign or financing the reelection campaign. It's a dirty world in politics. We all know that. You're not learning anything new. And baseball's involvement doesn't make baseball dirty. Do you how much money that all the professional leagues spend in lobbying? Do you have any idea how much money businesses like Amazon or FedEx, doesn't matter, take your pick. All businesses have lobbyists because they want to protect their interests in D.C. and in states. It is totally normal. So here's what's going to happen. A bill is going to be filed in Florida. It's going to pass the legislature. Ron DeSantis is not going to veto it. Is there a coincidence that Joe Ricketts gave Ron DeSantis a million dollars right after this happened? Now, he's not an MLB team owner because it's really his son, Tom Ricketts, who's the owner and the Ricketts kids, but still associated, remember Joe Ricketts? He's the one where there was an issue when Tom Ricketts was gonna bid for Chelsea. Anyone remember that story? When Tom Ricketts had to fly over and meet the supporters and say, don't worry, Joe's not involved, I promise. Well, he is involved, but in any case, it's gonna be interesting to watch what happens. And what I think happens here is Major League baseball will get, will get its wish and they will not have to pay players minimum wage because they don't have to pay a minimum wage now. And the reason you don't wanna to have to pay players minimum wage is because then you have to think about overtime. You have to think about how long they're actually at the facility and baseball does not wanna get involved in that because players are at the facility for much longer. That's just how it goes. It's a pretty fascinating situation covered really well it's worth monitoring but just know that it's not baseball alone all companies are doing it so don't get down on baseball and think that it's just them and they're a bunch of crooks that's not true they all are nothing personal pick of the day we got a winner we had the grizzlies over the lakers the new lakers without lebron james Grizzlies eight and a half over the Lakers. We're 28 and 33. It's good. I like that win. How's Kyrie Irving doing in Dallas? Anyone paying attention? I think Kyrie Irving has played with Luka and together they've won one game maybe. That comeback. uh, No, they lost that Laker game. I think they're one and five playing together. Something terrible. It's unbelievable. What do you think Mark Cuban's thinking? Oh my God, I can't believe I traded for this guy. It's a dumpster fire already. Anyway, that was funny. Sixers minus 1 at Miami is my pick for tonight. I don't I like when teams play back to back. I like taking the team that lost the first game to win the second game even though it's in Miami, but the Sixers lost at home to Miami a couple days ago. I see them winning the game now. Remember Harden missed that three-pointer at the end of the game anyway. Sixers minus 1 at Miami, that's my pick of the day. All right, spring training injuries. If there's one thing I've told you, I just hold my breath, cover my eyes. I hated my phone because then the phone would ring and it would be bad, bad. You see a player go down in the middle of a game and you just pray to God it's nothing bad. The Dodgers lost Gavin Lux for a full year. He ended up tearing his ACL, maybe his MCL. He's out for the season. They're starting shortstop. They let Trey Turner go in free agency to Philadelphia, replace him with Gavin Lux, who's a really good player who everyone wanted to trade for. And the Dodgers said, you will not trade him. Then they traded for Miguel Rojas of the Marlins as a backup, a $5 million backup. Can you imagine that luxury? Now they may have to start Miguel Rojas. What happens in the front office when you have an injury like that? The first thing we would tell our GM and our baseball people when we had an injury at any point in the season of an important player, a pitcher or a position player, is turn your phone off. And the reason why we say turn your phone off is when an injury like this happens, you get the sniper calls. The sniper calls are the GMs for other teams who call your team and say, hey, I got a shortstop. Or an agent calls and says, hey, I got a shortstop who's unsigned. You are gonna overpay to replace an injured player if you replace that player immediately turn your phone off, step away, say publicly, we are going with our internal options and mean it. The Dodgers in this case may really mean it. They're so close to the next luxury tax threshold that they don't wanna pass it. Did you notice they lowered their payroll this year from last year? Yeah, that's right. Not the Padres increasing it, the Diamondbacks increasing it, the Rockies increasing it, the Dodgers payroll is down. At some point, you got to stop paying the tax. Believe me, every team does this. They adjust their payroll to get below certain thresholds because there's a resetting provision in the CBA. That is the union's worst nightmare, and they don't focus on it. The resetting is what teams do in order to pay less tax. The Dodgers are in that reset mode. If they replace Gavin Lux and bring in a free agent or bring in money and add money with a trade and they go over the threshold, they become repeat offenders at certain levels that they don't wanna do, they don't get to reset. This was their year to do it. They're gonna go public and Andrew Friedman's gonna say, we're gonna do what we have to do to be good. We've never been told by our owners that we can't spend money and it's a bunch of horse hockey. Of course, owners tell GMs what the level needs to be. And if they go over the level, the owner has to approve. Of course, the GM doesn't have carte blanche just to sign free agents or replace an injured player. You think Andrew Friedman can just call up Mark Walter and say, hey, sorry, Gavin Luck's out for the year. Here's our plan. We're bringing in Profar and we're giving him $8 million. No, not allowed to just do that. It's a tough break for the dodgers you know what the padres were doing and i used to do this when when a pitcher for the phillies or mets would get hurt i'm so sorry we would do like snoopy dances it's so mean it's so bad but it's competitive you think the padres are upset that gavin lux is out for the year no you think the dodgers are upset that joe musgrove dropped the damn bell on his toe what is it called the barbell you can see that i lift weights tremendously all five five one thirty two 132 of me, soft as Carvel ice cream. No, strike that. 6'8", Six, 69. Soft as Mr. Softy. Joe Musgrove, I didn't like players in the weight room. They're all doing crazy stuff in the weight room. Joe Musgrove dropped a weight on his toe and broke his toe. He's going to miss opening day. He just signed the five-year $100 million contract. What a total bummer. The injuries that can be avoided bother me. You know, Gavin Lux getting hurt between second and third base running. It happens, right? You break your knee, you sprain a finger, your elbow breaks, your arm falls off, your labrum tears. It happens. You pull a hammy because you don't warm up. That bothers me. You drop weights on your feet. It bothers me. I get why players lift weights. It's a real thing now. Lifting's a thing, much more so than when I was there. But man, missing time, but the Padres have depth. They may have gone with a six-man rotation. Now it's down to five. But still, it's a nightmare. And do you know what I would do about it? Nothing. You can't tell players not to lift weights. You can't tell players who are signed to long-term contracts not to lift weights because they still will do it. You have a weight training director. You have a physical conditioning coordinator. What's it called? Physical education coordinator? That's my gym teacher. There was a name. He was the our weight training coordinator coordinator, whatever. They're there watching the players and they're in there in their shorts and tight shirts and they're looking around and making sure everyone's good. And I could get angry and fire that person when my players are getting too many injuries or I think they're lifting too many weights. Start over with new trainers. I've done it all, trying to curb injuries. Injuries are the nightmare. You're paying players not to play. But at the end of the day, what can you actually do? Nothing. God, that's frustrating. You no, the Dodgers are still slight favorites in the NL West. You can lay 120 for them to win. I love that. The Dodgers have won the division for so many years in a row. I would expect that they will win it again. But if you like the Padres, go get your plus money. Go for it. All right, here's where we are. I got to tell you what I'm doing tomorrow. I am going to Las Vegas. There is no show Thursday or Friday. And when my sister passed away, she, before she passed away, she made me promise that I would take her daughter who is turning 21 to Vegas for her 21st birthday. That is a special thing. Our family has done that for many 21 year olds. And my sister really, really wanted to be there and was trying to survive to the point where she would be there. My dad was also trying to survive to be there because these family Vegas trips were so meaningful to all of us. And that trip is this weekend. And I am bringing out the red carpet. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. We're going to a nightclub Saturday night. There's this uh, group called the Chainsmokers we're going to see. We're going to have great dinners, and we're going to go to a show, and I'm going to teach her how to play craps and all the things, and blackjack, all the things that her mother wanted to teach her but didn't get the chance to. I committed to do it. And so nothing personal will be off Thursday and Friday. We'll be back Monday with a new show with stories of the weekend because I expect to make it back safely happily, but certainly exhausted. I appreciate you being with me and coming back with me on Monday. And remember, at the end of the day, it's just business. This is nothing personal.